Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. I'm your host as always, Jan Roos, and I am here today with Jeff Katz. Jeff is a super interesting person I happened to meet back in April, and he's the managing partner at J.D. Katz Attorneys at Law and the co-founder of Beyond Counsel. So it's very, no, not like super, it's almost kind of a trope these days is people who are, I'm the former attorney who started doing this thing that services his attorneys. But what's really special about Jeff is that he never took his foot off the gas on the law firm. In addition to having a software process, he has fantastically successful estate planning practice over in Bethesda. All right. So just to kind of start out, I mean, we're kind of talking about process and and sort of the commonality I saw between being able to scale a firm to a really successful level, but also get a software in place. I think the commonality here is um, process. And that's probably why you guys are big um, instead of, you know, a lot of estate planning attorneys who just hang up a shingle and just stay solo for their entire career. So kind of just starting out, I mean, I know this is pretty important for you guys, but was there sort of a moment where you started getting oriented around process and really being able to scale? So I, I think uh, kind of going back to the origins of the firm, you know, when I opened this up, I, I came out of a large accounting firm. Uh, it was a very corporate environment. So they had systems and processes, but they were really designed for a much larger organization. And so, you know, they had these levels of hierarchy and there were assistants to the assistants. And, you know, coming out, you know, as a solo practitioner, I didn't have the, the budget nor the space to go ahead and bring in that type of infrastructure. And so, you know, as I started building the practice out, we started looking at, you know, what were these systems and processes that they had in place that made their business successful? And how could we either replicate or improve upon those processes in a way that was going to be both time as well as cost efficient for us? And so we started building out these systems from the get-go. You know, I started doing estate plans. I started drafting each plan by hand and very cumbersome process. We had a wide variation in terms of how those documents got output and depending on who was working on them and how that was, was running. And then over the last 20 years, you know, we've, we've ch- turned over the staff. Can't tell you how many lawyers have come and gone or paralegals. And so being able to have that system, systematized approach to drafting and process that is consistent means that the documents that we draft today using the same process that we drafted 10 or 15 years ago are going to look and feel a lot like those same documents. It doesn't matter who works on it. And so if you think about like a place like McDonald's, you know, McDonald's has thousands of outlets all over the world. But you know that when you go from you know, one location to the next, you're going to have the same type of experience, the same quality of French fry, the same taste of the beef. Uh, it's because they're following a systemized approach to their process that they're able to, to continuously deliver a very, I don't know how, how high the quality is, but, but at least a very consistent product. Uh, to their to their fans. Now, some people would say, "Well, McDonald's, you know, you guys aren't, aren't McDonald's. You guys are, are a law firm. I mean, you're not churning out hamburgers you're, or French fries. You're giving people a product or, or a process that they're looking for." Because we're doing this so many times, and we've we've done it. I think we have over the last 20 years done over 2,000. I'm sorry, 5,000 estate plans. You know, you've got to look for ways to be efficient and to deliver that consistent product that way you're meeting or exceeding client expectations. Yeah. And it's really interesting because I've definitely read a couple of books on like the process of systems and something that you see come out. And it seems like very logical that you'd want to have a consistent product with what you, what you put out, regardless of what your business is. But what do you think it is that's stopping most law firms from doing that? Do you think people are resisting this for some reason because they want to control ownership or do you think they don't have the tools? Like, why don't we have more firms like yours out there in the world? Jeff? I ask myself that question all the time. And so I think 
lawyers tend to view themselves as, as craftsmen and they, they view what they're doing as, as more of an art than a science where they're saying, look, you know, we're, we're coming, we're handcrafting this, this solution for you. And the reality is, is that, yes, we, we are creating a customized solution for, for individuals and we can supply that, that level of skill set. But at the same time, the economy and consumer demand has, has changed to the point that people want certainty. They don't want to have an open-ended blank check when they go out and hire a lawyer. And they want to know what is this process? process or product cost? How long is it going to take? What's it going to look like when it comes out? Can you give some certainty in terms of that? And lawyers have largely lost real estate transactions on the residential side. They've gone to title companies who have come in and said, look, we can systematize these processes. We can do it at a fixed fee. We know what the costs are going to be. And you, the consumer, aren't necessarily running out or running behind someone who's going to court or has 50 other things. You will make your real estate transaction our number one priority. So because of how lawyers are reactive, we have deadlines or people are being sued, we have to respond, always thinking in terms of what is the client's going to need or or need going to be, as opposed to how do we uh, get ahead of that? You know, how are we going to be preemptive in terms of thinking about what those needs and objectives are? And having done this, having seen the entire process, the life cycle of the estate plan, which really in almost all cases ends with the estate administration right? Who gets the money? How are they getting it? What does that distribution look like? How can we be efficient? What are the, the pitfalls that, that we face in terms of doing this? So when we start drafting and implementing our process, so it's not just a series of documents that come out, but that actual process from the onboarding to the engagement, to the execution of documents that again is systematized. So that way they know they've got peace of mind at the end of the day that this project, this is going to deliver the, the outcome they're looking for where their son or their daughter or their spouse gets those assets, they get them in an efficient way. And ultimately, without a lot of frictional costs, whether those are taxes or probate fees or, or whatever those costs may be. Uh, and also that there's not a lot of infighting in terms of the family members when the money's being distributed from one to another. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, yeah, keeping the value is such an important thing. Now, transitioning a little bit, as far as how you guys arrived at the process, like obviously you guys have a system. It wasn't starting from day one with the processes that you guys are running here in 2020. So at what point did you guys start really looking to create these processes and systems? What kind of points should people be thinking about creating them for themselves? And I guess, how did that process get started? I mean, was it something that you were driving personally, Jeff? Was this something that you were helping out with Dottie? Or like, what did that whole thing look like within the firm? When I left my, the accounting firm, I went to a small law firm in Rockville and the guy, the guy didn't believe in any type of automation. And so he used to hand number the pages on the documents and then he used to you know, fill in the dates. And so depending on which printer we printed the documents on, the page numbers were wrong, the dates were wrong. And so for me, it was super frustrating. And so I said, look, you know, there's, for, there's field codes, there's form codes. We can maybe make, just make this a little more efficient and, and really just produce a better document. Well, this guy was confused. He, he was truly the caveman lawyer field codes confused him, right? The system date code, you put, putting the date code in, in his documents was like, well, if, if I put the date code in, it'll just, it'll just show the day that, that I'm looking at. It won't show the day that I printed it. And I'm like, so historically, if I have to go back and look at that document, I won't know what day it was actually. Then I have to look at the hard copy. And I was like, but who cares, right? I mean, it's, it's a Word document. And really the goal is that when it's produced, that it's, the date is accurate, the page numbers are accurate, and it's automated and your assistant doesn't spend, sit there. And so, you know, we would just spend hours and hours remembering these things. So one day I just went in, I, I took the documents and I threw in all the field codes and he didn't like it, but he complained about it. And then he forgot about it because it just kind of happened in the background. And so every time we sit, produce a set of documents, we saved going forward, we saved 20 minutes, just not having to, to redo the, the table of contents and not having to do anything. So, well, what else can we do? And so we started looking at you know, how, how do we do, you know, maybe some merge fields, you know, how do we do this? And so we were working off of, you know, old school form books and he would go back in and he used to actually 
produce each new estate plan off the last estate plan that he did. And so you wound up with all these artifacts that didn't belong or provisions that were, were incorrect. And so and I said, look, we need to start with a blank canvas every time. He said, well, that takes a lot of time, Jeff. He's like, you know, I mean, there's a tremendous amount of time to go in and recustomize these documents. And so we started looking at document assembly systems and saying, well, you know, what are sort of the commonalities that, that are in each of these documents? Can we come up with that overall overarching system? And then can we design a computer program that will then tweak that, that drafting so it only has the relevant portions? And so we're not stuck with someone's artifact. So the neat thing is that in the last 20 years, since I've been in the practice here, we've never had an artifact. We've never had, you know, another person's name in a document or another person's disposition or tax language that didn't belong because it came out of someone else's document. Because again, we're drafting each of these documents truly from scratch using a pretty sophisticated computerized document automation system. And then ultimately outputting a, a document in Microsoft Word that the, the attorney can then go in and tweak and put in whatever final you know, edits they need to to make that appropriate for them. But at least this way, we've systematized maybe 90, 95% of, of that drafting process. So that way, we're not forgetting anything. We're not omitting things. I mean, I, I've had associates years ago that would, they would draft a state plan for me to look at, and they forgot the, the disposition clause. They named the trustee, they named who the beneficiary was, and then they didn't say what happened to the money. And I'm like, well, yeah. what kind of plan is this? <laughs> this is <laughs> Yeah. So, and it was just, you know, super frustrating for me because then I had to go and I had to read every document, every word to find out every, every one of these mistakes. And so, you know, having that, that system in there allows us to be really efficient because A, the, the potential for errors is significantly reduced, but B, the attorneys can really focus on, did I have that residuary clause in there? Because the system will tell them, hey, you forgot this, right? It's, it's going, it's giving them a little bit of AI our system goes in and it calculates the ages of beneficiaries. So that way we know if someone's five, that they shouldn't be named as the personal representative. It's going to flag it. It's going to come up with a big error code. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting. You mentioned it like that first time that you were going back to the printers that you saved 20 minutes there, but it's, it's, it almost kind of seems like there's kind of a compounding effect to really investing time and energy into these systems because those 20 minutes might've been stuff that you used to improve a different system. And all of a sudden you save 40 minutes and then you look forward you know, over the course of 20 years. That's why you're in the position you're in today. Right. So right now we're probably going to produce between 250 and 300 estate plans this year. Yeah. You know, and we don't have the staff that you would need to produce every one of those plans if you were drafting by hand. I mean, it's just, it would be an impossible goal. I mean, we're turning estate, complete estate plans around in, in seven to 10 days that are running three to 500 pages worth of documents. I mean, there's no way you could do that without some form of automation. Yeah, absolutely. And you also mentioned something that was interesting, which is kind of like the human element to this. Cause like, I feel like I can't imagine how many law firms across the country are just depending on one person with extremely high attention to detail to have something that's not even close to as efficient as a mechanical system. But as far as hiring people for the firm, there's kind of two things that I've kind of thought about as far as, I mean, this is the systems that I've used in my own company as well. So people who are able to work with a system for one, but also people are able to either just kind of be a mechanic and improve a system or even architect a system from scratch. So how do you think about that as far as hires that you've been making in the firm lately, Jeff? So we, we've definitely undergone, I think, a metamorphosis in terms of, you know, who the people are and, and how those systems work and how we interact and engage with, with each other. And I think with COVID, I mean, having a good firm culture has really been key to, to having that, you know, where there's a level of clarity, where people have a platform they can communicate. And having the right people in the right seats, I think, goes a long way to having an efficient system. And, and so not all lawyers are great client-faced people and not all client-faced people are great lawyers. And so it's just a question of you know, getting the right people in, in those right positions to those needs. 
plenty of people come and go in the, in the practice over the last 10 years. I think that the folks that, that, that stick around are the ones who are resilient, who really like what they do, who believe in what, what the goal and the mission is, and whose, whose interests are really aligned with that. Those are the clients. Yeah. And that's, and it's the other thing too, is like, I think on some level, there's, there's definitely something to be said for being able to give people a little bit of space to find the right time. But again, that's something that kind of comes from having a successful practice. If it's all hands on deck because you're overburdened and there's not enough staff members to cover the work because the systems are, are cruddy, then you don't have the, the leeway to allow people to kind of find their own way. So I think it all kind of comes back to that at, at the end of the day, but also kind of on that note, switching gears a little bit, one of the things we hammer a lot on this podcast is about the importance of intake. And I guess there's a little bit of a tie back to the conversation we were having because I was actually just thinking about the actual meeting that we scheduled to get on this podcast together. I got a bunch of different emails. I got the calls. I got the reminders of the day over, which is awesome. But also, Dottie, you being super involved in this, um, you guys take intake very seriously. And again, if you look at the numbers that you're, you're about to put up for this year, I think you mentioned between 250 and 300, Jeff, like that doesn't happen with not following up with people. Could you tell me a little bit about your guys' philosophy on follow-up, how to mix up the automated stuff, how often to follow up with people, that kind of thing? Yeah. So, I mean, at one point, 25% no-show so, rate. So, approximately one-fourth of people who scheduled appointments never showed, never called. We didn't hear from them. And for us, I mean, that we were losing hours and we, you know, people were sitting around conferences waiting. And so it was a real cost to us. And at the same time, it was also filling up our calendar of, of time that we couldn't use to service other clients. So we started looking at ways that we could reduce that no-show rate. The first thing we did was we installed a computerized calendaring system and we put that on the web. Just like you could book a hotel room at a Marriott, you can also book an hour with an attorney. And so that's tied back to our internal calendaring. Just like the Marriott, you can't see who's in the room next to you. Clients can't see who's next on the schedule. They can just see what blocks are available and they can pick a time. We made it super easy for our staff to book that as well. Right now we're doing Zoom. And so our accounting system is also generating independent new, new Zoom dial-ins for each call. So no one's ever going to wind up on someone else's call. We're never going to have someone intruding or hanging on. People are basically placed in a waiting room if, if the call runs over and sit for the next call. And so we're able to you know, maintain client privacy and client confidentiality with that type of system. And then simultaneously, when we're booking those appointments, we're simultaneously adding those people to our practice management system. We use Practice Panther right now. And so we, we've generated a new client intake on those. So I think that, that sort of incrementally, you know, helps us not do repetitive data entry because we've got that data from the initial intake. I think all that's really super helpful. Now, once we get those people in there, we have a, a fantastic system of follow-up. Uh, the, the first thing on that system is Dottie. So Dottie picks up, says, hey, you know, any questions? How can we answer? It kind of walks that client through, explains you know, what we'll need to bring in, the expectations, sends them that email. They also get a Gmail calendar, iCalendar, Outlook calendar, invite. They can add it right to their calendar, put it in. So that way they're, they're you know, right on point. And then the automation takes over at that point where we've got a series of phone calls, text messages, and emails to get people in. And so the biggest complaint we get, too many follow-ups. But those guys are still signing, <laughs> signing agreements right. at the end of the yeah. day, right? <laughs> they are, they are so. But that carries through. We send out an engagement letter. So when we send out engagement letters, we send them out in DocuSign. We'll do our consult. We'll have a paralegal on the call with the attorney. The paralegal will draft the engagement letter. The attorney will review it with the paralegal and the client while they're on the call. And we'll simultaneously send it to DocuSign so that the client has that retainer in hand before the consult is over. Now they can review it at their leisure, decide whether they want to go forward with the engagement or not. But if they don't sign it, if they don't sign it that day, they're going to get it again the next day. They're going to get it again the next day. They're going to get it again the next day. And so they're going to just constantly get pinged the same way they got pinged with those phone calls. They're going to get pinged with those DocuSign reminders for the next 30 days. <laughs> and so we have people who are like, hey, I just signed out to retain you. I'm like, oh, that's fine. Just click the line button. 
And they're like, like, stop calling me. <laughs> you know, <it's> just like, <laughs> it really shows it. It's that level of following up. We've, we've got our systems in there. We actually even send out an automated thank you note the day after the consult. So 22 hours after someone's met with us, they'll get a, a note from us saying, hey, thanks for coming in. Any feedback you want to give us, they can give us fill out an online questionnaire. We do appreciate that. We get a number of those that are filled out. We really do care. And I, I want to dig into that mindset a little bit more because most of the pushback that, that we've ever gotten from, from clients of ours that have been saying like, yeah, I don't really want to annoy these people. This is a mindset that I think is really important as, as far as follow-up goes. It's like, you guys are coming at this from an angle of service. You're doing this because you want to make sure that they have the plan that they need to protect the wealth that they've built over their life. And as far as negative feedback, you guys don't have any crazy one-star Google reviews from this or bad stuff from this. Like what's the worst that's ever happened from the too much follow-up? Worst that we, we have follow-ups. We, we have Google reviews where people complain that we called to follow up too many times. That when they, when they didn't give us the documents that we asked for, that we continued to call and request them over and over and over again. And so, and I'll take that. I'll, I'll accept that. I mean, I'll, I'll own it. If we care too much and we're, we're calling too much and we're following up too much to make you know, sure that they're, that, that's on us, you know, and, and I think that's a complaint that every lawyer should get. Mr. Katz's or Mr. Smith's office called me too many times to follow up. And they didn't charge me for the calls, by the way. They just kept continuing to follow up over and over again as to when I was going to execute, when I was going to send them documents, reminding me of appointments, calling my financial advisor to make sure that they had gone through and done all the implementation. It's really irritating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, that's, I always say, uh, we recorded a podcast about this uh, not too long ago. It's like the same way that somebody in a negotiation, if they say yes to the first offer, you didn't ask for enough. Right, I think you spoilly, if, you, yeah, if, you didn't, if you're not telling people to stop marketing so hard, you're not marketing hard enough, right. not close the business that you could. Right. All right. And then as far as kind of some, so, I mean, clearly there's been a lot of thought that's gone into the business. I'm going to kind of switch gears a little bit too, away from your guys' practice and to beyond counsel. This is something if, if people have been listening to this and saying, you know, actually, that'd be really nice. I own an estate planning practice. <laughs> Tell us about like why you started uh, co-founded beyond counsel and kind of what you've been looking to accomplish with that. So one of the things that, that we found is that because we have such a high volume of, of intakes, you know, because we're doing 20 or 25, we, we kind of can judge and, and measure what's working, what's not working. So we're actually doing our own A-B tests in our office in terms of our presentation style, learning styles, and, and what's being effective and what's not being effective for our clients. And so, you know, we started thinking, well, look, you know, this is really valuable for us, but it's also valuable for other attorneys who maybe not, they don't have the same level of of intake. And so we said, you know, can we, you know, put this out? And so one of the things that Beyond Council did is we, we took some existing document assembly software. We created an online community. We created a knowledge base of video CLEs where we're, we're giving that information to people so they can make their practices better. So they can spend more time, you know, engaging with the client, doing that, that left side versus right side of the brain thing where they're not spending all their hours drafting, but really saying, you know, how do we implement? How do we engage with that client? How do we get that goal from point A to point B? Right. And then as far as kind of the situation, so this has been on the market for a couple of years, right? It has. Yeah. So, so the software, when we acquired it had already been in existence for I think like 10 or 15 years. Over the last 20 years, we've gotten, I think, over 100 users at any one point in time. And our users combined have created over 1 million documents with wow. the system. This has been battle tested. It's battle proved. The crazy thing is that, that the only attorneys who have dropped off the system for the most part have either retired or died. And so, <laughs> so it's a very sticky application and, and because it works, it's not the fanciest application. I mean, but, but it, it is tried and true. It, it gets the job done. 
It has the a little bit of AI built into it, but it allows the attorney to, to draft the documents the way they want to, but also gives them that sort of flexibility of having that system in place through a series of checklists, through a workflow, through identifying key documents, and then that follow-up system where they've engaged with the financial planners. A lot of our referrals come from financial planners who have met, met us through our engagement with their other clients. And we've been introduced to them where they see, okay, you know, not only are our, our documents qualitatively better than a lot of what they're seeing, but our process, right, where we're going out and, and reaching out to those financial advisors to make sure that the, the planning has been implemented is also more attractive. And, and one of the things that the financial advisor says, hey, Jeff, we get paid based on AUM, assets under management. And so when you bring a client to us or, or we send a client to you and that client brings back in, you know, an additional 401k or a 403b account for us to manage, you're actually adding real value to our practice as well. We're showing the depth of our knowledge, but then we're ultimately getting paid for it because we have more assets to manage. Yeah, that's really impressive. And this is kind of even beyond to like the, the, the partnership angle of the whole marketing too, which is it's just super potentially interesting as well. As far as uh, I'd probably be remiss to, uh, to to not ask if anyone's listening to this and it sounds like a really cool platform, like what would be the best way if someone's in this part <laughs> state planning attorney to uh, to get involved with Beyond Council? So, uh, so we've got a website. It's uh, Beyond Council B E Y O N D C O U N S E L dot I O that really walks you through, explains the platform. We've got virtual onboarding, we've got demos online. People can come in and see what it does and kind of get an overview of it. I'm also available for one-on-one consults for anyone who's, who's interested in, you know, sort of bringing their, their practice up to the 21st century. I'm happy to share my experience in terms of how I run the practice and share war stories with other attorneys who are looking to kind of move to that next level in their practice. All right. Awesome, Jeff. Super generous offer of your own time as well. I mean, sounds like you have enough going on, certainly, with things that's going on. Guys, um, I super appreciate the interview, Jeff. Any kind of last questions, I guess, you know, for anyone who might be a little bit earlier on the path or, you know, maybe to a younger version of yourself, if, if somebody's looking to really scale their estate living yeah. practice, anything that we forgot to ask? The question isn't, people always ask me, hey, Jeff, what happens if I die or what happens if, and I always tell people, it's, it's not really an if question, it's a when question. And so if people are asking themselves, what happens if I become successful? right? What happens if I scale my practice? It's never going to happen. I think the, the question people really need to be asking is when. What happens when I scale my practice? What happens when I put these processes into place? What happens when I decide that I'm going to be successful, right? And so taking that step, identifying the goal is really the first step. And then coming up with the plan to get you there is the second. And, you know, having wow. good marketing, having, having systems and processes, because ultimately if you've got a great system, that's great, but it's only as good as the ability to feed the system. And so having a, a marketing plan in place that, that feeds that is really the key, whether it's your personally picking up the phone and calling financial advisors or using Facebook advertising or, or whatever that marketing system is, you got to feed the beast because ultimately having a great system that scales is only as good as your ability to, to keep it full. Yeah, yeah. It's like you have the great system that can handle a thousand clients a month, but it's you know not getting any photos. It's like yeah. paying for a Ferrari and having it just sitting in your garage. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So the other thing that, that I find talking to attorneys is that a lot of these attorneys are great technically, but they have no way. They, they just don't understand how to market. They don't understand when, when there's clients out there, people who, who might need them, how to get themselves in front of those people. I mean, I think that's the other part that, that's really missing from most attorneys' wheelhouses or skill sets. Yeah. So, I mean, as, as far as the terms of marketing too, so it's like you guys have had quite a lot of success with the financial planners and, and kind of that sort of thing. I mean, I guess overall, what's, what sort of worked for the best for you guys over the years? So I think fit for, for between client and advisor goes a long way. I, I think that having advisors that know that we're accessible, you know, we really do break down the, the process into a very manageable series of steps. And so both they and the client can, can kind of eat that one piece at a time. I think that goes a long way. 
I, I mean, I think that there's, you know, sort of a, a number of, of ways of, of integrating, but ultimately having that, that sort of playbook in place of here's what my marketing plan looks like. Here's what my implementation plan looks like. Here's what my growth plan looks like on uh, being able to identify that each of those steps, I think holistically is really where most people need to be. And, and it's really just not a skill set that most attorneys have. The sitting and down with somebody and particularly people who can, who can help because attorneys can see, like, I want to be busier but they don't know how to be busier. They're, they're too busy working on the clients they're working on to be thinking about where the next client is coming from. Right, right. It's like they don't have that almost like the, like the margin in their time and their, their energy right. is, is really just not there to, to put effort into that kind yeah. of stuff. And, and, and really, I mean, the thing is most attorneys are not great marketers. And so I think if they can hire somebody or bring, bring in an outside system or an outside process to, to run that for them efficiently, it just allows them to focus on what they're good at, which is practicing well and, and you know, implementing these plans. Yeah, I gotcha. And then I'll also say too, I mean, like having the intake part is such an important thing because it's like one of those efficiency things as well. It's like if you can bring five out of 10 people that end up bringing the law office uh, or bringing into the, the office home versus one out of 10, people talk about this is probably the number one question that I get from people that are when I'm, I'm reaching out for the first time is what's the ROI? And I say, I don't know what's your close rate, but it's a thing too. Cause if you, I mean, and you guys are a great example of just having, you know, the follow up that you guys have had and the intake and that kind of thing. It doesn't matter whether you're getting somebody who's coming in recommended from a financial advisor or because you paid somebody to go spin a sign outside on the street. When they get in, they're, <laughs> they're, you know, they're in sort of the, the uh, it's like the uh, gates of Thermopylae with 300. Like you're going to get right. through it regardless, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And so obviously the more at-bats you get, the better you'll get in terms of owning the presentation and understanding client's goals and objectives. And I think that goes a long way towards meeting those client goals. But I think the, you know, the flip side of that is, is sometimes, you know, if you're getting the wrong types of clients, the people who are coming in aren't, you know, the people you want to be serving, winning those people out so that way you're not wasting a lot of intellectual capital or, or time that you can work in other things. We, we talk about TKs and my, my friend up in Pennsylvania talks about plate lickers. He used to do presentations and he'd have these people that would show up and they'd, and they'd say, hey, you know, the presentation was good, but Morgan Stanley served steak and you guys only served and so, you know, they were, they were literally there to lick the plate. And he actually sent me a video one day of a kid that had, had come in and had poured a plate full of ketchup uh, on and was sitting there and was literally licking the plate. <laughs> oh <my laughs> left nothing left on the plate. And of course, th those are not the kinds of people I, mean, I appreciate, you know, buying, you know, strangers dinner, but really those are not the people, kind of people we want to be serving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, because we're, at the end of the day, we're really not McDonald's. <laughs> So yeah, one uh, last thing I wanted to ask. So, so as far as, um, okay, then we're, we're recording this on a Zoom right now. So I see you have this very interesting setup as far as your background. But one of the things you mentioned earlier, and this is actually the state of the union when um, you and I first spoke back in April, Jeff, was that you guys have been busier than ever with Corona. And with that has come the whole process for closing clients virtually through Zoom and other kind of non-physical uh, non means, I suppose. So can you tell us how you guys have adapted to that? Any changes yeah. that you guys had to make in your process, that so, kind of stuff? So yeah, so I'll tell you, you know, when we started working from home, we started scheduling conference calls, just telephone conference calls to people. And they were an abysmal failure. Like we had no, no zero signups. We just had nobody, you know, retained us. We tried to basically take our, our in-person consult and do it over the phone and it was a disaster. And then we added Zoom and then we had different people in their, their homes and they had their children running behind them and they had dogs and cats and contractors walking around. And so then we came up with this virtual background. So, so the virtual background that I'm sitting on now is like a blue background with different lights. It's actually used in church services for reverends and, and priests and rabbis <laughs> and, and whoever. And so it's actually got a spotlight in the center. So it spotlights the person. It's a very, it, it's a Zoom video. So it kind of runs in a loop, but it's, there's no break in that loop. It's not necessarily distracting. All of our estate planning 
team has the same background. So it doesn't matter where we are. So right now I have a lawyer who's sitting in Delaware. I have a lawyer who's in St. Louis. I have a, a law clerk who's, oh gosh, in New York, right? And even though we're in different locations, because we all have the same background, we're all wearing similar, you know, we're all wearing blue or black solid colored shirts. We look like we're in the same location wearing the same thing. <laughs> we then have a PowerPoint presentation, which is color, color match to our background. And so some of our clients have actually thought we were embedded in the presentation. They thought we were like AI <laughs> lawyers. One lady didn't think I was a real person. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so that was some kind of computer generated, like uh, Alexa or something. Uh, you know, Jeff, Jeff saw. Yeah. Um, Let's say Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz, yeah. It's very, very Wizard <laughs> yeah. Of Oz. Uh, and so, so then we, we said, okay, well, so we added the Zoom. Our, our closing rate went up. We added the PowerPoint presentation. The closing rate went up. We added the DocuSign as we've been evolving this, we went from a 0% closing rate up to about an 80% closing rate and during the same consult. We've onboarded in the last 75 days or 60 days, approximately 75 new clients through consults. And so we're actually at a point now where our closing rate is higher on Zoom with the PowerPoint, with the DocuSign, with the paralegal than it was when people were coming to the office. And we're booking more appointments. Yeah, that's a good point too, because it's, it's interesting. I feel like a lot of times, and this is kind of the worst thing, and to your point, I've actually never heard the term caveman lawyer before, but I have to <laughs> start using that because definitely worked with a couple of those. Right, yeah. But it's like a lot of times people just kind of throw their hands up in the air. Like I remember I was speaking to actually, this is an old client of mine, good friend. He was like, basically, hey, look, we're getting a lot of good stuff and people are closing business on Zoom. And he said, you know what, honestly, I've never been able to close over the phone. It's always been in person. I don't know if it's, it's my pheromones. I don't know what it is, but the guy refused to give it a shot. And I think what's super key about what you guys have and kind of maybe uh, kind of bring this thing full circle is that you guys trusted the process. You guys trusted the fact that you could make up to something. And then again, it wasn't, you know, zero to 80% overnight, but after a couple iterations, you guys are there. And now it's a, it's an asset that you guys have developed in your business as far as a process that you guys are going to be relying to years to come. I guess, you know, maybe last question. It's like, as the world kind of opens up, are you guys even trying to do that? Or are you guys going to stay virtual? So, so the, you know, the irony now is that we have the ability to serve people throughout the state. We're no longer localized to, to one specific area, like Bethesda, Maryland. So we can now get client intakes from all over the state of Maryland, as long as they have the bandwidth or an iPhone or you know, something where they can see the Zoom. And we've had lawyers from other law firms who have called and said, hey, Jeff, you know, can we sit in on a consult? You know, so we'll get client consent. We'll have them sit in. And they're just wowed. I mean, we, have, we, we had a, a county partner who was in last week we were doing their presentation. They said to me, hey, Jeff, you know, I, I sit in on Zoom calls and PowerPoints all the time. I've never seen anybody do anything like this before. I mean, this is just so, it's so out of the box and it's so effective. And so, I mean, I, I say, well, thanks. And then they, then they say, well, where do I sign the retainer? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> we'll send it to you, you know. <laughs> that's so, awesome yeah. yeah and then i'll have to get this on the show notes for everyone so we can kind of see we'll at least get like a screen cap of what yeah. this whole thing sets yeah. up it's really something to see so jeff Dottie, it's been super awesome and it was great to sit down with you guys thank you so much for all the advice for our listenership i think people are going to super appreciate this episode any last sort of parting thoughts before we sign off i, I mean i i told people it's, it's the kevin costner field of dreams build it and they will come they will come <laughs> <laughs> okay. And <laughs> that's awesome. I was going to say, there's probably a lot of things that people incorrectly think is that thing, but as far as process, I think definitely an agreement there. All right. Awesome guys. So we'll be back next week for another episode of the Law Firm Growth Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. For show notes, free resources, and more, head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode.